Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Army Real Talk, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. And even as, you know, we were exfilling people jumping the gate, nobody got shot. It wasn't that the danger wasn't there for the paratroopers, but that's where I think I'm mostly very proud of the discipline of every individual one. Put that in the perspective of the threat. Everyone who came through, you had to assume that they were wearing a suicide vest. I'm Colonel Retired Scott Halstead, the director of AUSA's Center of Leadership. And I'm Gina Cavallaro, the senior staff writer for Army Magazine. We are so pleased to bring our listeners this third and final episode of our interviews with members of the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We just heard the voices of Division Command Sergeant Major David Pitt and Major General Chris Donahue remarking on the discipline of their troops on this sometimes chaotic mission. They basically did the job of evacuating more than 124,000 people from Afghanistan in August 21 without a mishap. And that marks the end of U.S. military operations there. So in this episode, Staff Sergeant Austin Buchanan, a weapons squad leader with Alpha Company, and Combat Medic Sergeant Jacob Black describe the human dimension of their experiences. And they really get into reflecting on the impact of the mission and how they felt about it when they got home and the impact it had on their lives. You will hear Sergeant Black reference Abbey Gate, which was the site of the August 26 suicide attack that claimed the lives of 13 U.S. service members. Gina, this was an incredible project that we worked on together. I think we agreed that whether it was General Donahue, Commander Pitt, or all the leaders from the 2nd Battalion, 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment that we talked to, all of them inspired us. And what I think one of my key takeaways This was an incredibly complex and successful mission under the eyes of the world. And it changed the trajectory of over 124,000 lives, especially and most notably our vulnerable Afghan partners. Let's have a listen. Tell me about when you learned of the mission and what went through your mind. Well, I believe it was the 12th of August when we got the call. I was actually at the house when we got the call. My company was out doing live fire exercise. They were all getting sped up on everything as I was trying to come in. It was definitely unplanned. Definitely wasn't something I expected to do that day or something. I didn't think that next weekend the plans that I had made with my wife were going to be terminated. Wow. Uh, okay. So we planned to like go up to D.C. and like go see the Abraham statue and all that stuff. But sometimes when you're here in the 82nd, plans get terminated. You have to so be ready. Yeah, you have to be ready for exactly. anything. Did you know what the mission was, Sergeant Buchanan? At the time, no. Honestly, not till we got there did we know kind of what we were going to be doing, but it was kind of all pieced together as we were there. As you were there. Yes. What about you, Sergeant Black? How did you prepare for this mission, and were you aware of what you'd be doing? I guess my mind, we're always training for deployment. That's what we do in the AA, right? First Brigade's known multiple times for deploying. That's what we do. My mind mentally was, you know, preparing my medical equipment, make sure I had everything, make sure everything else was squared away as best as it could be on the time you had. Tell my dad, tell my mom, hey, I got to go somewhere. I probably won't have my phone. Love you. Bye. What did she say? Oh, she 
she was strong. You know, she's raised four kids by herself, went to college and Alaska too. So she's strong, but I could tell it, it hurt. And I guess I was in, I'm in disbelief until I'm in there. I'm always like, eh, okay, are we really going? Or like, are yeah, we going? Yeah. So until I'm on the plane mentally, I'm just like, okay, go through the motions, get the bags, get prepped. What can I do to help? And then when it's go time, I'm in the plane and I'm on my way there. That's when I start mentally getting prepared. I don't know if anyone else does that. Yeah, but I do the same thing. Yeah. Is, we were scheduled to do a deployment readiness exercise roughly around the same time. And so it was up in the air, like Sergeant Black said, was this a real thing? Was this, you know, just an exercise that they were just holding information back from us just to get us all excited? Nobody knew. Honestly, I was in the same boat as Sergeant Black, not really thinking too much about it. I was like, no, we're going to go to Charleston. We'll sit there for maybe a day or two and then we'll come on back. But that was not what happened. It was the real deal. <laughs> yeah, we actually yeah. left. So, yeah. Was it what you thought it would be when you finally got on the ground over there? I mean, I know that's a broad question, but what were your expectations and then what was it really like? I didn't expect it to be so desolate. I did a training rotation in Yakima, Washington. And if you go in the middle of a drop zone in Yakima, Washington, and look around, there's a bunch of mountains. Those mountains look at the exact, I, that was the like first that. thought. I was like, wow, this huh. looks exactly like Yakima, I Washington. I we were going to Afghanistan. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right? So I kind of like had to take a mental note of like, oh crap, where am I in Afghanistan? And it was quiet, but not for long. Yeah. It wasn't when we got off. The first thing was, you know, bags. Hey, get everyone ready. What are we doing? Are we okay? Then it was, okay, where are we going? What are we setting up? Kind of like Captain Hawks was talking about. But he was in the more infantry mode. We were more in the operational mode of like, okay, hey, let's get up a building. Let's start setting up communications. Let's start everyone talking. And then medically, hey, where are we going to take patients? How are we going to load them? How are we going to unload them? What's the number we can take? Who do we have? So it was a lot of busy work. I don't really think we had time to kind of, wow, oh, smell the flowers. And there were no flowers. So, uh, you know, it was it was work. It was go time. And that was kind of where me mentally, it was, okay, hey, what can I do to help? Where can we work? What can I do? So there was no time for any fear to creep in. Mm. Where, was was uh, there think... fear? Was there any fear? When we landed, it was dark. Sun was going to be coming up in the next couple hours. But, you know, after we'd gotten into a couple hours worth of trying to corral people and keeping not just like soldiers safe and stuff like that, but also trying to get the Afghan civilians to understand we're here to help you. But the amount of people that were pushing against us wasn't doing any good. Hard to convey. Yeah, like yeah. we can't do anything with all you people right here, right now. Like right. It, there has to be a process. We'll set up stations or checkpoints like we did at the gates and stuff like that. But they didn't understand at the time. What was concerning to me, and I brought it up to my PO at the time, we were sitting on a little security perimeter right beside the terminals. And I just remember taking a look to my left and I was like, you know, if I was a bad guy, I would be like, this is a perfect spot to be like, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of people here, civilians here, a bunch of United States military. You know, we had Marines over there. I think 10 Mountain was over there at the time too. We were definitely over there and just a whole bunch of people, you know, Turkish, all those guys. But if I was a bad guy, that would have been prime positioning. A bunch of people could have done a lot of damage with an S-Vest or some type of sure. V-Bid or something. Frightening. Like they could have just drove it right through the massive security breach that we had there at the time and could have done a lot of damage. And that was something that was concerning to me because 
ahead. My PO was relatively close. Me and my guys were relatively close. But my company commander was in the mix of all those people, trying to keep them back and keep everybody safe, along with Captain Hawks, actually. He was down there. Mm -hmm. So those are two United States captains on like the front lines, trying to do what they can to help get their company online and make sure everybody's safe and all that. And had something have happened, we would have lost two key leaders in a matter of seconds. Yeah, and we how did have... you keep yourself under control personally? So, like breathing or anything yeah. like that? What so did I you just, do? As soon as I realized that this could be a really bad spot for something drastic to happen, I did radio it and was like, hey, these are my concerns. I think we should probably pull back a little bit because we were getting reports over the comms that there could be potential threats inside the airport just waiting to do something. And I don't want my commander to be an unlucky person or anybody who's wearing a uniform okay. to be involved in anything like that. So I had to keep my composure a little bit, but I'd be lying if I say I wasn't a little scared. So. And Sergeant Black, what are your thoughts on that whole situation? Did you <laughs> witness the same thing? I don't think it was fear. I think it was unease. It was very uneasy yeah. sitting there with a lot of unknown variables. Granted, we had a plan, we had a mission, we had a job, but there were so many, hey, is there someone in this hangar that's been sitting here for a day waiting for a plane to come in? It was very uneasy. It wasn't mm. pleasant. It wasn't fear, right? I wasn't afraid the men were doing their job and women were doing it phenomenally. I don't think I was ever fearful. But definitely there were situations where I was like, ooh, this is not making me. Yes, a lot of vigilance. And there were a lot of opportunities for mistakes and the young men and women didn't make them. And it was phenomenal to watch them do that. Your interactions with the Afghans. Now, I know it's a human thing to feel compassion for people, but there wasn't always something you could do for them because they had to have the right paperwork. But as a combat medic, did you find yourself confronted with medical situations that needed your attention with the Afghans? It was very difficult because you would have one of the interpreters who saw water and would throw it to a crowd. And then the crowd would, like Captain Hawk said, get belligerent, right? And it was very difficult. You wanted to, me as a medic, that is my sole job is to help people. And it was very difficult to watch them not get the help. And I wanted to help them. But it was you know, like Sergeant Buchanan said, it was understandable because bad people will take good people's, they'll take advantage of that. And it was extremely difficult. And I know a lot of the medics, it was very hard to watch some of the things that happened and having to, uh, I wouldn't say hold our medical treatment, but it was definitely delayed because of the need to, hey, check them, process them. Okay, hey, now we can help them out. Were there any situations that you recall that you could share with us? Yeah, I was... Uh, I was one of the medics who uh, responded to Abbey Gate, and uh, that sucked. Doing the medical treatment was kind of like second nature, right? I think that the training I received going to delayed evacuation casualty management course, DECM, right? That was phenomenal. Shout out to those guys who teach that class. It's a beautiful course, and I was very grateful that the 82nd let me go to it. I've been to ACLS, Advanced Cardiac Life Support. I've been to a, a ton of schools where the Army trained me well. And during those moments, the training kicked in. But it, oh, it... It was tough. Yeah. Tough yeah. in real life to see it. And how are you doing now? Okay for the situation being, right? I'm not 
outstanding. I'm not doing terrible. I'm not drinking my problems away. But one of the things I uh, was <laughs> tried getting tried getting this expert field medical badge. It's called the FMB. And during the lane, you have three patients that you have to work on, right? And they have these rescue randies, which are plastic. The realistic dummies, dummies right? Mm-hmm. right? Well, those weren't the problem, yeah. the heavy right. ones. It was the $50,000 realistic one that its eyes are wide open. Does it eyes still, um, uh, it, oh. Maybe it just, a little too realistic, yeah. what you went through. And that's the hardest part for me was not doing my job because that's what I trained for. That's what I signed up for. That's me. Um, the hardest part was we were there. Uh, the Air Force needed a, a personnel, and I was one of the medics, and I hopped in a truck, went to the Roll 2, which is a makeshift trauma center as best as we can make it, right? What we can do is what we do. Rolled up there, a lot of patients, a lot of, a lot of work, working, and not just, you know, medical work. You know, I treated a couple of Marines. It was, you know, setting up litters with blankets for the next patients, right? Because there were... Oh, there were a lot. The hardest part for me was they asked, you know, hey, we need bodies to uh, move some litters. Okay, hey, I'm your man. Work, I'll do it. That's what I've done all my life, right? And um, going into the uh, the tent, and uh, there was eight Marines who uh, passed away. Um, and that was rough. That hurt. That hurt a lot. She was Sarnik's. Uh, she was there, and that's how I met her. For our listeners, Sergeant Hicks is a friend of Sergeant Black's, and she's <laughs> sitting in the room with us. Yeah. But uh, well, thank you for sharing that very difficult thing. And I hope that before you left Afghanistan that time, that you had some downtime to uh, pull yourself together. And I'm sure that your fellow soldiers were very helpful in that regard. It's, it's like you can train all day, seven days a week, 24 seven, you know, city would go out to area J or, you know, wherever and do practices after practices after practices, but it doesn't hit you. Like Ron Black was saying, it's going to become second nature when it actually happens. You know, mm-hmm. you're just going to react. You're like, okay, I know what to do. I've done this before. I've seen this before. But then you're going to realize that this is not some doll. It's not some, you it's know, not training. 150 pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's not training. Like you have to do this. And if you don't, do this right, it could not work out the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. So sure. Practicing makes perfect, which is, I'm glad we have start, people like Sergeant Black, you know, there to assist. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to go through stuff that I don't have to go through. So I appreciate you for that. Thanks, brother. So after that happened, that was a terrible event, and um, but there was work to be done. So what was the rest of the time there? I'm sure everyone had to pull it together. Do you think at any point in your days now that you reflect upon this mission that you did as difficult as it might have been at times and feel like you were part of something big? I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, while we were there, it didn't dawn on me. I didn't think about it. I was just like, okay, this is what we have to do next. And when we're done with this, what's the next task? You okay. Know, just living task by task, basically. But it wasn't until I got back. I started reading some of the stuff that they were putting out while we were there and after the stuff we got back or put after the stuff they put out after we got back, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, wow, like, I can now say forever that I was a part of that. There's pictures of me that I've seen floating around, pictures of me in my platoon. 
Really? All over the place. Yeah, all over the place. Oh, that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of cool. And didn't like now realize that I was part of something way bigger and like it was broadcasted all over the place every day. It's kind of a cool feeling, especially knowing how many people we managed to evacuate on top of being in the middle of it and knowing I physically had a part in getting a lot of those people out of there. Wow. So. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope we can talk again sometime in the future and like to catch up later and see what you're doing in your career. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of AUSA's Army Matters. You can listen to all three episodes from the 82nd Airborne Division at ausa.org slash podcast. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters Podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters Podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Hua.